0: Not afraid to tell it like it is. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon till 3 on AM 900 CHML. It continues down at the courthouse, the Tim Bosma murder trial, day two of the Crown's cross-examination of Mark Smitch. Yesterday, the Crown said Millard and Smitch had planned this thing together all along uh, to kill Mr. Bosma, to burn his body, to take the truck and then focus on efforts to cover up and destroy the evidence. To talk more about all of this and give us an update, Alex Pearson is with us covering the Tim Bosma murder trial down at the courthouse, and she's with us now. Hi, Alex. How are you today? Hello there, sir. I'm good. A question from a listener. Who's paying for Smitch's and uh, Smitch's and Millard's lawyers? Would we know that information? you you the taxpayer welcome to the world
1: of taxpayer funded uh, court cases um i would think that this is a legal aid uh i can't say categorically because that would be confidential but the good you know chances of him being able to afford a lawyer like this in a trial matter like this, is next to you know nil. So what most people do is get legal aid lawyers, which um, many assume are not good lawyers. That would be wrong. Some of the best lawyers in this country are uh, offered through legal aid, which means they get a capped rate. But again, it's paid for by the tax rate uh, payers. So. Uh, Della Millards would be paid for by him because he's got the money. But a guy like Mark Smith, clearly a uh, career criminal and uh, drug dealer, didn't have any money. So the good people of Ontario are paying for his defense.
0: Some have commented on why he would have such a good lawyer, but uh, as you no, said... no, no. That,
1: that's a complete misnomer. There are many great, great lawyers. Many I know all are part of legal aid. And so,
0: uh, is, d- does every lawyer have to do a portion of this? Or do we know that? Or is it volunteer? How do we do it? It's
1: not volunteer. I think there is some kind of obligation. I'd have have to actually look into that. But no, I mean, but but this notion that you know you only get a crappy lawyer on Legal Aid is absolutely Mm. categorically false. Now, are you going to get someone like Marie Hennin? No, she's a thousand bucks an hour. But uh, I think it's up to four hundred dollars an hour they charge through Legal Aid, and and the challenge for a lot of lawyers who get a Legal Aid case. that happens to be long, is that it, it interferes with other cases, and they don't get paid until the case is over. So a lot of times when you do this kind of work, they're out for months and months and months footing the bill mm-hmm. uh, until they can claim that money back.
0: Uh, all right, let's talk about what's happening today. It seemed yesterday, with what you were telling us, uh, that Smitch was almost agreeing with a lot of what <laughs> the, <laughs> the Crown said. It's incredible. Once That's trapped with the evidence.
1: Well, it's almost like he's. it appears, from our perspective, that he's kind of given up. It's gotten to the point where he's just kind of like, mm-hmm. He's not even fighting back what we saw in Nadir Sajak's uh, cross-examination, where he got quite mouthy. Um, Craig Fraser has been absolutely superb in his cross-examination, concise, clear, to the point, direct. And all he's doing is putting Mark Smith's words right back to him, and it's hard to argue with your own evidence. And your own text. It's really hard to argue. And I think Smitch is almost like that mouse that is so cornered right now that mm. it's just like,
0: what else is he going to say? It seems like uh, the Crown is presenting evidence and then allowing uh, Smitch the opportunity to comment or, or explain. And if you can, as you mentioned, you can't argue with what's there on text or the evidence.
1: Yeah, like he, he, in the last couple of um, exchanges, he has stammered and stuttered and tied himself almost into a knot and then just gone, gone. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. actually quite extraordinary. But what the Crown did do today was put forward its theory as to what happened on May 6th. Mm-hmm. And the Craig Fraser, I mean, bottom lined it and said there was never a test drive on May 6th. And he never, Tim Bosman, never stood a chance. Because as soon as Della Millard and Mark Smith got into that 3500 with him, he was shot and killed within almost seconds. So this Theory that Mark Smith put out there that they parked the Yukon in a nearby field, which would have been maybe a two-minute walk uh, and even less as a drive. Mr. Craig Fraser put to him today that, in fact, as soon as you pulled in that field where the Yukon was, so just a field kind of away, you shot and killed Mr. Bosma. In that very same field. And then instead of this U-turn, Mr. Switch said he claimed that Mr. Millar did a U-turn with Mr. Bosma in the truck, and then they pulled away, and he followed behind the icon. He said, that never happened. You shot and killed Mr. Bosma right away, and then you both peeled out of that field together. And then you got to the Bobcat in Brantford, and you had to change the body positioning around so that you could continue on and also pitched out the cell phone at that point. And the reason they got to that is because we go back from, uh, to testimony way back uh, in February of a neighbor named uh, Rick Fullman. Right. And it seemed like nothing evidence at the time. Yeah. But, boy, were we all looking back at our notes today and going, oh, wow. Now, in his testimony, he said that every night he walks his dogs around the, you know, the parameter of right. his farm. Mm-hmm. And he says oftentimes he would see people pull in and dump garbage. But it would always just be one pickup truck. On this particular night of May 6th, he said it was suspicious because he saw two trucks pull out. Did any of them do a U-turn? No, sir. None did a U-turn. They just went out, and it was quick. And then the next day, he would get a flyer about Mr. Bosma being missing. And he immediately reported to police because he felt that the activity of the two trucks that pulled out was suspicious. And so Craig put it right to Smith. That's what happened. Um, and so it was quite something. It got a very strong, strong uh, reaction of this. And, of course, Mr. Smith was asked, you know, is this what happened? No, oh, no, you're wrong. And Mr. Fraser kind of mocked him, saying, you know, that's, that's your story. Okay, you're sticking to it. Well, he said, you know, you made the choice to go along with it, and it was all part of the plan.
0: Right. Now, this re- uh, the resident that saw the two trucks while walking the dog, uh, that, this was close to Bosma's. Is that correct or not correct?
1: yeah, it's not necessarily directly beside the Bosmas, right. but it's like very, very close. It's very, very close. and what's the, the what's the theory
0: of as to what happened there? Is that where the other truck was sitting? Yeah. Why, why would they have pulled over there? What's the well, Crown's theory?
1: That, well, it's no theory that Mr. Uh, Millard and Mr. Smith parked the Yukon in this sandy laneway right. of this farm. And, so, and then they got out and walked up the driveway right. of the Bosma family home right. and claimed that they got there because their friend had uh, let them off and had gone to look for this Tim Hortons. But, you know, that was a completely fabricated story. Mr. Fraser says, you pulled out of the Bosma driveway with Mr. Bosma, you turned, you went back to that field where the Yukon was, so maybe. maybe so this was the place where. Second drive.
0: Yeah. yeah. So this was so this site where the farmers saw uh, that's where they had hid the first truck, and then went up to Malar or sorry, up to Bosma's, and then came back and picked the truck up at that location.
1: Yes. Yeah, so they dropped the Yukon off, go to the Bosma's, right. pick up Mr. Bosma, pretend they're going for a test drive instead. There is no test drive. They go right. right back to where the Yukon is parked. Shoot and kill Mr. Bosma, right. according to the Crown. Mm-hmm. Then Mr. Uh, Smitch gets out, follows behind in the Yukon. Both trucks leave, and then they stop at the Brantford Bobcat, where the Crown alleges they, re- you know, they had to change Mr. Bosma's body. They had to kind of reorganize themselves, pitched his cell phone, and then went on to the farm from there. Wow. Yeah. So that's their theory: is that Mr. Bosma, and it's always been. Um, known that Mr. Bosma, in this case, that it's become clear that he, he was likely dead within 15 minutes of leaving his home. But the Crown goes further to say, no, within like two minutes, he is dead. Now, lots of questions were asked. You know, did Mr. Bosma say anything, any kind of conversation? Did he appear uneasy with what's going on? Mr. Smitsch, of course, can't recall any of those details. But I tell you, it was riveting. To hear this come out. And so then we go through, you know, more, um, you know, texts and conversations because don't forget, Mr. Smitch claims that Dell was a lunatic. Now we call him Lunatic Dell. And if you look at the text conversations between Dell and Millard and Mark Smitch, in the days following all this, they're friendly, they're conversational. Let's chill. Mm. Let's hook up. These are, this is a time when they are getting rid of evidence. They are trying to cover this thing up. And as Mr. Fraser pointed out, you didn't look too crazy and scared of lunatic Dell when you're walking through the surveillance video at the hangar. And mm. if you were so scared of lunatic Dell, when he turned, you know, with Mr. Boswell's body, why didn't you go a different way? Yeah. You certainly had your chance to flee. You didn't. And what he was saying is you weren't scared of him at, at, at all. You were going to burn evidence. You were going to get rid of stuff. You were partners in crime. Hmm. You did what killers did. You concealed evidence, and that's what killers do. They cover their tracks. And then Mr. Smith yelled at, he said, well, no one was supposed to die. It was just supposed to be a theft of a truck. And then Fraser said, yeah, but someone did die, and someone was burned, and your hands are all over it. It was something else. Wow. Something else, yeah. Wow.
0: Wow. Holy smokes. So where are we now moving forward? How does this continue on? Where did you leave off before lunch?
1: Well, we're actually almost finished. Uh, Mr. Fraser says he only has a little bit more to go, but really it's, it's this text conversation about the covering up and Mr. Fraser pointing out that there was a meeting between Mr. Millard and Mr. Smith on the 10th just before he got arrested. It was a 50-minute meeting where Fraser alleges you, at that time, you, know, you knew the jig was up, and Dellen needed you to get rid of the murder weapon and get rid of the drugs, and that's what you were talking about. And he keeps going back to the text, that show, you know, and the evidence of people like Matt Hagerman, uh, Andrew Michelski, all these people who say, well, he needed a toolbox, and Fraser's cornering him again saying, you wanted the toolbox, you arranged it because you wanted to get rid of the murder weapon, mm. the drugs and the murder weapon, and that there were conversations with this guy, Issue, <laughs> that's his street name, Issue, the guy that sold Bell and Millard the gun, that Mr. Smith who apparently is so fr- fr- frightened of Mr. Lunatic Tigdell. Trying to help him get in touch with issues so that they could get rid of this gun. But again, what is so important for the jury to see is that at no time during these texts, and, and we now know that Mr. Smith and Mr. Millard spent up to 10 hours together. In the week following Tim Bosma's death, if you're so frightened of lunatic Dell, you're not going anywhere near him, let alone asking, hey, yo, 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 what's up? Can we chill? I mean, these are texts I'm not making fun of. This is how they talk to each other. I mean, that shows a level of comfort, a level of, yeah, I want to be with you because you're my bro.
0: Hmm. Is that
1: how you would talk to someone who you're terrified of?
0: Wow. Any more on location of gun? Did that come up at all?
1: No, we're we're uh, probably going. We're just getting really to the gun uh, part of this as to where it went. Um, but again, he he has his, his cross examination of Mr. Smitch. Put, put Mr. Nadir Saychek aside for anyone who is concerned about that cross examination. You need only listen to the last day and a half of the Crown's cross examination to really, really put into context Mr. Smitch's story about what apparently he says happened that night. His cross-examination has been, I think, devastating. Hmm. There's a reason it can be a risk when you put your client on the stand. And I think this is what we're seeing now.
0: Uh, it, It sounds like someone may crack in this at any time. Uh, just because well, it, it's so intense. Are we naive? Is that too Hollywood? No, no,
1: no. I don't think you're going to see Mr. Smitch collapse or anything. But what I think you've seen is, I mean, literally, Scott, he has not argued back really on anything. And this nope didn't happen, didn't happen. This snipping and the sniping yeah. with Nadir Sacher is not happening with Craig Fraser. Yeah. I think he realizes he's met his match. And every time he comes back with it didn't happen, he's presented with his own words, which you really can't dispute. And it's gotten to the point where he's just kinda of like mumbling his answers. And I I mean look He's been on the stand for a long time. It's almost unheard of to have someone cross examined this long. So he's tired and fatigued, so that's probably playing a role. But there's no question. uh, Craig Fraser has done an immaculate job in this cross-examination. Immaculate. Uh,
0: Reaction uh, from Millard at this point when he sees uh, Smitch wearing down this way?
1: There isn't much. I think they're both tired, Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, I, I can't speak for Mr. Millard, but yeah. we're not getting any animation from him. I've hardly seen him do anything other than just kind of listen and write things down. He did not testify. And so at that time, there was a lot of thought of maybe he regretted it. Mm-hmm. And I think by the cross-examination, he sees his uh, former BFF uh, struggling now. So it, it, but you know, it's been fascinating to watch this process.
0: How are the Bosmas holding up?
1: There's no question to hear the details about what happened to Tim. um, You know, again, especially as as
0: it all comes together and as we we come to an end here, and they'll finally see what pictures being painted.
1: Yeah, the picture being painted, but is that the truth?
0: Yeah. For them,
1: they just want the truth. Will they ever get it? We may never know that. I Mm. mean, it's exhausting for them. They've heard some pretty terrible things in the last uh, week and a half outside of the last four months.
0: It's been very difficult for them, for sure. So, what happens this afternoon?
1: So Price Fraser will finish up and then we find out if Mr. Um, Dungy has any more witnesses to call. If he doesn't, then we go into a couple of days of legal arguments where it's all like a pre-conference for the charge. Um, And then you get into closing arguments next week and then the charge and kind of just tidying up legal stuff. And then this goes to the jury. Uh,
0: After this finishes this week, if this finishes off this week and... uh And and there's just legal arguments. Is the jury involved in that in any way? No. uh, No,
1: so the lawyers would be meeting with the trial judge to go over what they want and they think needs highlighting in the charge. The charge is when the judge breaks down everything for the jury of how they can come to their conclusion, of how they can come yeah. to first degree, how they can come to an acquittal, how they can come to a lesser degree, manslaughter, or second degree. It's really, really complicated. It's the part of the trial I hate the most because it's very technical, but it's crucial that they are armed with all the knowledge they need and that's what's going to be discussed in the next couple of days. So what the lawyers want, what the Crown needs to have you know, put in and how the judge is going to present the charge. It, there's still a ton of work for the legal minds in this case to do in the next few days.
0: Alex Pearson has been with us covering the Tim Bosma murder trial down at the courthouse, day two of the, crosses, uh, the Crown's uh, cross examination of Mark Smitch. Alex, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
1: Mm, my pleasure, sir.